Ciao amici, welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today we'll be talking about Mario Bava's 1960 Black Sunday, or La Mascara del Demonio. And today we're joined by special guest Douglas McCambridge. Ciao, Stephen, how are you? <laughs> good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm happy to be here, thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for joining. There's no better time to talk about Black Sunday than on a sunny Saturday morning. That's right, you know. <laughs> in summer. I mean, it's sunny on your end, as you've said. I'm sitting in a dark basement right now, so really <laughs> it, it makes more sense for me to be talking about this in the current environment. But, yeah, no, no. thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Um, I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I know I reached out to you. It was a while ago. Um, and we sort of talked about doing this, and for whatever reason, it just didn't happen earlier, but I'm glad to be here now. Absolutely, and this is a movie you threw out, or a Mario Bava is a director you had suggested, I think, right off the bat, um, so we'd love to hear, like, what are, what draws you to him as a filmmaker, what attracts you about this movie, we'd love to kind of hear your, your story sure. with Bava. No, no, that's... Yeah, that's why I'm here, right? Um, so here's the thing. I, I am a huge fan. You and I know each other um, through you know Facebook groups, mainly dealing with, I think, Criterion. I, I'm pretty sure that's sort of the, the thing that brought the two of us together. So, you know, I love my art house films. I love my highfalutin, you know, three-hour Soviet classic. I, I love that <laughs> stuff, yes, but I am a genre nerd. I love horror movies so much. And I think that if you put my Criterion and horror collections next to each other, and I'm pretty much blue complete with Criterion, I think I probably have more horror movies overall than I do Criterion. Um, and, and I'm a huge fan, not necessarily of Bava. Um, if, if we're talking about uh, Italian genre filmmakers, um, but I'm a huge fan of Giallo now. We can talk about that later. It took me a while to get into it. It's, it's one of the more difficult film genres I, I found to sort of become interested in. Um, but I'm a very, very big fan of gothic horror, and that's what this movie is. I mean, you, you give me an old dark castle with characters just wandering around waxing poetic. <laughs> I am in, I, I don't care what it is. I love all those old, you know, Vincent Price films. I love, I'm a huge fan of old universal horror movies from the 30s and 40s. And this movie uh, in Black Sunday really has that feel. Bava isn't into Giallo quite yet. This is really his first feature. Well, it's kind of not his first feature. Um, and this is just, I think this is a great jumping off point. If people don't, if people have seen Giallo films and don't like them, okay, Bava might not be for you, but you could probably watch Black Sunday. Or if it's something where you're just getting introduced to this director, this is definitely where you should start. There are certain filmmakers out there that I would not recommend starting with their first feature. For him, this is the one. This is the one you should watch first. It'll give you an idea of whether you like his style or not, and then you can continue or not, <laughs> I guess, is what I'm saying to listeners right now. When it's like amazing to watch as a first feature, because it seems so mm -hmm. fully fleshed out, you know, I understand it kind of had a lower budget, but it doesn't 
look like it at all it's beautiful to look at it's Mm -hmm. well crafted um i guess like you when we were chatting earlier i mistakenly thought this was giallo so what would you say is different between italian gothic horror okay during this era pre-giallo what are some of the distinctive qualities you think now this is not good for an audio format because i would say it's very difficult to describe what giallo is um the for me okay let me talk about the the hurdles that i had to get past when it came to giallo first of all it is very brutal the violence in most giallo is quite brutal um in a way that you know giallo came up in about the the 70s uh, audiences had not seen that type of graphic violence before. So it's really the type of film that I think ushered in brutality in, in, in a way that is specifically brutal toward women. And that was uh, something that I had a real hard time getting past. Not even past, because that's what the movie is. Um, also, Giallo is very stylized, very heightened. Uh, the eye makeup alone on the women is bonkers crazy. <laughs> um, but it's just, it does a lot with bizarre camera angles. It hangs on violence in a way that is very disturbing. Like, I remember watching um, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, I was like 12, 13 years old. I should not have been watching it at that <laughs> age. And, and I was shocked by how violent that movie is and how at times the camera doesn't cut away. Uh, A lot of times that is what Giallo is. Now, there will be very deliberate cuts to, you know, from a human being to a dummy, you know, getting their head (laughs) severed or something. Um, But the look, the overall look is very colorful. Uh, Even the costuming is very heightened, very stylized in, in the way, you know, in a very 1970s way. And with this gothic thing, I mean, this is a throwback to the turn of the century. I mean, you know, that's the great thing. It's it's castles. It's these ornate giant gowns. And, you know, everything is lit by torches. Um, I really tend to gravitate more toward that than violence that seems a little too realistic, if that makes sense. Like I said, I've come around on Giallo, uh, but it, it took a little while to get into it. I know a lot of people out there really like it. I had a hard time because of the graphic misogynistic violence of the <laughs> genre for the most part. Um, well, and even this one, even though it's pre-Jallo, it is pretty striking for how at least suggestively violent it is. Mm-hmm. Like the very beginning prologue with the witch Asa getting Iron Maiden mask oh my hammered God, yeah. in. You know, you don't see anything, but it's horrible to watch. And I even um, my first I didn't realize it, but I was first introduced to this movie. Gosh, maybe 15 years ago mm-hmm. through one of those silly countdown shows. I think it was like a 100 <laughs> scariest movie moments on Bravo, which they showed every yeah. Halloween, which is actually a great special because it introduced me to movies I'd never heard of. But I had yeah. remembered this scene. And so watching the movie for the first time now it's like, oh, so that I've seen this part before, at least out of context, <laughs> yeah. just the way it was meant to be seen. No, and I know um, that I had seen it on TV before, too, just as a kid, you know, I don't know, Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, something like that. I know I had seen this. It didn't 
click as to what it is. And of course, it's on TV. It was cut down severely. But then I think I was in college when somebody said, oh, you should watch this movie. It's really great. And I don't know. I was halfway through it and I went, wait a minute. I've seen this as a kid. Like Once you see the holes in her face, it's such an iconic image that I then went, oh, I must have seen this multiple times on TV as a kid. <laughs> so the movie starts with um, a woman named Asa and her lover, this the surf Yavutich. Mm-hmm. Is that? Let, yeah, let's say that. I mean, that's the <laughs> closest we're gonna get. <laughs> uh, so they're uh, they're being accused of witchcraft and are sentenced to death by her by Asa's brother. And as she's being sentenced, she vows revenge and curses all the descendants of her brother's family. She will rise again and come to curse them and all of that. Flash forward 200 years in the future. Two doctors are traveling through Moldavia en route to a medical conference, um, but their carriage breaks down and they find themselves wandering into an ancient crypt as as one does. As uh, you do, <laughs> yes, of course. That happened to me yesterday. <laughs> um, and the older of the two doctors named Thomas accidentally awakens the undead Asa by messing with her crypt, also as one does. Yes. Um, and then when they are exiting, they run into a beautiful young woman named Katya, who we as the audience know looks just like the witch Asa from 200 years ago. I, I think that this is, first of all, I think Barbara Steele is fantastic in this movie. If, if it were anyone else, I'm not saying it wouldn't work, but she really made this film as, I think, effective as it is. Um, I'm... I was always and still am a little bothered by how how similar the two characters look. I mean, how they did absolutely nothing, like with <laughs> hairstyle or anything to differentiate between the two. I thought then, you know, yeah, it's kind of fun in the end and you need them to look alike. But it's like, man, can't you just like put her hair like do something do something different <laughs> with these two to differentiate i mean i love at the end i love the sort of um you know how the two same character are playing off of one another i i think the way it's shot is wonderful especially for that time i think the only thing uh you had to compare this to at that time was i don't know when was the patty duke show out i think that was maybe <laughs> like 60s or something um where you have split screen and stuff but uh, you know the way the body double works and everything i i think it's wonderful but it's just one of those things where it always bothered me how just absolutely similar the two characters looked well and i will say at least as a first time watcher it made me mm-hmm. look for more doubles everywhere that weren't there like i kept thinking like oh is the ghost of so-and-so is that actually the innkeeper or, right and i was mm-hmm. kept looking for it and i think barbara Steele was it yeah i think so <laughs> but two barbara Steeles is better than <laughs> sure. one yeah um and so they meet young barbara Steele, katya um and oh okay you need to jump in here i forget how they ended up at her castle um, I think it was something where, uh, she took them back because, you know, their cart had broken down, so they really couldn't go anywhere. You know, it's not, it's not like they could continue on, but she was close enough where she brought them back. Is that correct? 
Does that sound right? Oh, yeah. I ju- literally just watched this again last night. and I, I was watching it this morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I guess I don't feel as bad now. <laughs> um, and in the uh, meanwhile, while all this is happening, um, Asa, who has been awakened in her tomb because of Thomas's meddling, uh, she summons. Well, in his blood, I mean, he he oh, cut yeah. himself. That's that's the big thing. Is I guess it wasn't just so much opening it up, and then there was a bat that he shot. Like that was kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> it was more that he cut himself, and she needs blood. Like that's the whole thing. That's why those dogs have their throats cut later and stuff. Yeah. Well, and to go back to the blood, what made this interesting i don't know if you have more context Mm -hmm. around it i think they only say the word vampire like once in this movie like i almost kept forgetting that they're vampires until every once in a while you would see the holes in people's necks it's kind of interesting it's interesting that they decided to do that i don't really know that it was all that necessary to bring in the vampiric lore at all or even to mention it and i think you're right i think it's just at the very beginning of the film do they say the word vampire um because this is adapted from the i think it's a russian folktale uh i don't know the name of it but it's it's basically about a witch who dies and then is resurrected, you know, brought back to haunt, you know, the descendants or something like that. Uh, so it's not even vampires in that. And I know that there is a bat. I get it. But it just, it seemed unnecessary to me to have the whole vampire thing. This could just, you know, she was a witch, right? Like, why is she a vampire <laughs> witch? Well, when I was looking at different vampire mythologies, Mm-hmm. on wikipedia so extensive research um oh, definitely. But, <laughs> but from romania where i think this takes place there's a kind of vampire called a strigoi i'm sorry romanians um and they it. are <laughs> i'm sure they're witches who can send out their souls at night to consume the blood of their livestock and neighbors and they can also okay. reanimate corpses to suck blood and attack their living family so the way the Wikipedia summary describes them. It's almost more like they're witches that suck blood right. rather than that like Count Dracula. Very, yeah, and that sounds very similar to this, to the, you know, the antagonists of this movie, you know, raise the dead, send them out, you know, they work for me now. So, no, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so from there, Kadya is waking up Yavutich, um, and just kind of chaos is ensuing. Kavutich comes back to life. He bites the dad. Mm-hmm. They. Andre, who's a, a. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I, I was just going to say, yeah, uh, because they bring in that doctor. And like you said, Kavutich. Oh, my God. This is so bad. This is so bad. Me y- trying y- to y- say this. Y- yep. There you go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call him like so three different he, things right. so he comes in enters the picture because the dad is sort of shocked and and he's you know he's very nervous about this happening because of course it is black sunday coming up and he's super nervous and he keeps seeing omens like he looks into his wine and he sees the reflection of the mask and, and things like that so he's almost then frightened into a catatonic state which i thought was really great 
So then they bring this doctor, but the doctor has been turned at this point. That's right. And the doctor then basically murders the father. And then from that, Katya, the daughter, is thrown into a frenzy. She faints instantly, as mm-hmm. as women do. Yep. Uh, so the younger doctor, Andre, who's also in love with her, love at first sight, <laughs> takes her to her bed, unbuttons her blouse in a uncomfortable way, and she sees she has a big crucifix on her, which will become a plot point later. Yeah, it's 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 a little uncomfortable when he's unbuttoning her blouse and her brother just <laughs> happens to be basically standing <laughs> there, just kind of walks in like, oh, uh, what's going on in here? And uh, okay, just I was just checking out the crucifix. I guess is what you say in those situations. <laughs> just making sure she was okay. <laughs> yes, uh, making sure her jewelry didn't uh, fall off, and uh, you yeah, know she looks fine though. Uh, okay, gosh, you'll need to fill this in. When the priest shows up, I didn't mm-hmm. know who he was for the good, like, first couple minutes. It was like, who's this man with a beard? No, and I, I think, honestly, I think I only know from having seen this uh, multiple times. But I think they mention calling for him. They mention, oh, oh well, we need to go get him or something like that. But I think that's the only, I think that's the only way you would even know who this person is. Like you said, oh, it's so not, when he's it's there, not a you're great supposed introduction. <laughs> what was that? Sorry. Oh, so we, and, and so when he's there, you're supposed to have pieced together. Oh, remember this guy I we guess. mentioned? That I, guess. <laughs> I guess. Again, having seen this multiple times, it doesn't bother me anymore. And so I don't know that it ever did. But that's a good point that he's not really introduced. <laughs> And there aren't that many characters. It's not that difficult to, you know, to build up or, or to talk about, you know, the third character that's coming into this <laughs> film. You wouldn't think it's that tough to do, but eh, they didn't really worry too much about it, I guess. When as like a movie watcher in general, I'm like horrible with plot mechanics. I rewound the prologue oh, yeah. like several times because there was just too much information <laughs> given. I was gonna say there's not that much given. <laughs> <laughs> the words are nice and big. <laughs> uh, and so the priest shows up and mm-hmm. he and he has an idea what's going on. And so they go to Yavutich's tomb where they find his body, which makes it kind of creepy, too, because we yes. know Yavutich is running around causing trouble. But then here's right. his body the same night, I think. Mm-hmm. Um. But they know that, or the priest knows the only way to kill the undead is by stabbing him in the eye with a crucifix, which is also interesting because I don't think that's traditionally part of, that's not how you kill vampires as far as no. I know. No, but I love it. It's so great. I mean, that's, <laughs> such a, that's such a fun detail in a movie. Like you said, something that is probably way more violent for the most part than people have seen up to this point. I mean, that is really gross i mean that's a that's a super (laughs) gross way to kill somebody and just to come up with that but maybe that is lore as well i don't know that's but it could be something that bava was just like let's just do this (laughs) why not cares we have a small budget we have limited sets so i don't know let's make this as gross as possible (laughs) uh and then we cut back to the castle 
also reveals that her plan is to take the life from Katya, her 200 years younger doppelganger. Yes. Um, and she's trying to trick Andre into killing Katya by saying, or by taking on the identity of Katya, the younger one, mm-hmm. and trying to trick him into killing who he thinks is the evil witch in her yeah. tomb. But when Andre's about to kill her, he sees the crucifix nestled in her cleavage again. <laughs> and he knows, I've seen this before. <laughs> That's Katya. <Yeah. laughs> These guys are real creep. He's like, I don't know. Do I bother looking at the face? Nope. Right for the chest. Uh, but I mean, that does the trick. He realizes who's who. And I think just about then, the villagers arrive with their mob. They're a mob. They got their torches. Yes. Yeah. Every now and then we cut cross cut back yes, and forth that's right. to these villagers who are getting ready and they're going to burn the place down and you know uh, there's evil afoot and it's it's a whole thing um but i really do i i have to say that the the final scene of him seeing you know who is who who's the witch and who is the you know, the princess um I think is is a very effective scene. And when she sort of reveals when he pulls back her again, he's just going for <laughs> to open clothing. Uh, and you see the like half formed rib cage. It's such an iconic shot and it's super disgusting. Um, and it's, it's just something that, that really jumps out. Like, like you said, there is a scene early on where a masked man takes a giant mallet and hammers a mask into her face. And that is, Iconic, yes. But the scene at the end where you see her forming ribcage, I think is especially graphic and just wonderful. Well, in that whole sequence, too, I don't know if it was my, like, eyes playing tricks on me, but I felt like Mm -hmm. the special, or, like, the makeup effects were really great, even just on their faces. Like, it looked like Kadya was dying while Asa is, like, getting stronger. It was pretty incredible. Yeah. And when I watched it this time, I did go back and I watched that several times because, as you said, it is very impressive because that's done in movies of this time period, before this time period and after all the time. It's done really well in this movie. And I don't know how I mean, I know how they did it, but. Boy, just to get Barbara Steele to lay in that same position and to not move her head as makeup is being applied. I don't know. It's fantastic. It looked virtually flawless. Yeah. Um, and then when the villagers arrive, the day is saved, I guess. They burn her saved. at stake. <laughs> and as the flames are burning, we get the end. Yeah. I... <laughs> I guess it's the, I don't know. I would not think that anything would stop her from maybe coming back. Maybe don't, don't put her in a crypt or anything. I don't know. Don't, don't put her somewhere where people have access to her. Cause seemingly one drop of blood will do the trick. And then she's back doing this again. Well, and that kind of takes me to a question that I kept thinking of, and I'm not trying to say this to like poke holes sure. in the movie, but for someone who, was a witch and clearly the family is not was not down with her at the time Mm -hmm. why was she buried in the tomb with the rest like why would she be accessible well you know it's it's just tradition 
No, I, <laughs> I do. I do think it's pretty funny how in the opening, uh, after they put the Iron Maiden mask on her, and th- seemingly they are going to burn her. And then it starts raining. I, I love that. How just oh, the rain comes okay. down and extinguishes all of the fire. And then everyone just scatters. <laughs> like, let's get out of here. So we're never really told who put her in that crypt. I'm not saying that she, you know, was on that post for hundreds of years, but we're never really told how she ended up there in the first place. So I, I don't know. Question oh, that's mark, true. I guess. Yes. Yeah, so at least in the end, they do get to burn her, which maybe that is what finalizes her demise. (laughs) And at the same token, too, for a family that, you know, again, was really scared of her, they still kept up her portrait and that of her lover, actually. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice of them to have painted him. (laughs) Oh, it is. It's really great. And I assume it's just when you have guests over, it's something to talk about. I mean, you're an interesting family. Everyone kind of knows the story, but I'm sure that there's more you could tell them if they stop by. And visual aids are always appreciated. <laughs> uh, well, this is, again, it was a really, really fun first time yeah. watch. And thank you for recommending it. Sure. No, I'm I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, and I know you haven't seen any Giallo. Like, you haven't some people wouldn't even call it shiallo did you see suspiria yes the original it's... not the new one yeah i love both of them but yeah i've seen okay. suspiria yeah yeah i i think that that is probably um i mean that's the first quote unquote giallo that i had ever seen but i think a lot of people do argue that that's not necessarily real giallo um if you're going to if you're going to dive into Giallo after this and you want to watch a Bava, um, and I know you talked about recommendations and we'll do those later, but I would say Blood and Black Lace is a really, really nice entry point. Um, just like Black Sunday, if you don't like that, don't continue on. If you don't like Blood and Black Lace, you won't like any Giallo <laughs> ever made. But if you do like it, it's going to open so many doors <laughs> and, and there's, you know, you can bring in uh, just a a whole flood of films uh, that you'll probably really enjoy then. Oh, I remember a couple years back, Filmstruck had a Bava collection and I'm like mm-hmm. kicking myself for not having worked through it. Cause I'm guessing that would have been, yeah. this was probably in there. I'm sure that would have been a pretty comprehensive way to go through yes. him. I know. I, I just got the, I just went through the trial of Filmstruck. I never actually got it. So. Um, I think the only other Bava I've seen is his um, late career masterwork, Dr. Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs. Oh, okay. All right. Not like I saw because I was trying to see Bava, but I love Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello movies, and that was like vaguely in that universe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty great though all right okay that one doesn't come up a whole lot in discussion so <laughs> oh that's uh, fun uh so like you said you've you've seen this movie you know or growing up with it as a sure. kid revisiting it yes. in college um what are some of the sort of like thematic um undertones or like motifs that you see and you get to revisit every time that you watch it uh, I mean, I think a lot of it really has to do with 
the general cinematography and uh, the set design. I think the set design in this film, as I said early, I do like old dark castle movies. I love it. Um, but that is something that I am continually drawn to. I love to watch old black and white films. And I think, you know, in high def or 2K or 4K or whatever, I think that those films tend to look even better than color films of the 60s and, and into the 70s. Uh, it really is something that I'm drawn to. Very high contrast whites, very stark uh, deep blacks in this I think is something that I really really like and, and I can keep coming back to that over and over again I think this is also the type of movie that once you see it once and once you uh, sort of know what's going on I know it's not you know this is something that a lot of people wouldn't do but this is a great movie to just have one in the background sometimes too uh, it's a great film to just put on you know if i'm doing work on my laptop or something i just want something playing in the background um i know that with a film like this anytime i look up i'm probably going to be entranced by just the look of everything that's happening you know if you were to just cut dialogue and put a musical score over this i think it would be probably just as effective and i will say that that's I think the one weak point of this film is probably the dialogue. Uh, I don't think it leans as heavily into um, sort of the, the gothic poetic nature of some of those films as maybe it could have or should have. Um, but I, I think that's a minor quibble with a film that looks as good as this one does. Well, I think with... You know, and unfortunately, it seems like a most Italian movies from this era kind of face this challenge. But with the the dubbing over of mm -hmm. basically everyone and knowing it's such an international cast assembled together, yeah. it's like whether you put it in Italian or English or any language, it's going to look weird because no one was speaking the same language on the mm -hmm. set. And it just always kind of, I mean, for any movie, it gives it kind of a funny quality. Like in something like oh, yeah. The Leopard, to be honest, I'm kind of pulled out of it because it's so sort of distracting how the dialogue doesn't match with the with the mouths. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but something yeah, like, I, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm, I'm glad you brought up The Leopard so I didn't have to because I know it's an unpopular opinion. But yeah, I, I have never made it through that film and it's for the reason you said. Yeah, I... I couldn't tell John Lobinger during our Death in Venice episode, but I have a hard time <laughs> with the leopard. <laughs> but I, I know I need to give it another try. Yeah, no, I, I do too. But when it's when it's that sprawling and epic, I, I don't know. It, it is really difficult. And it's, it's the biggest challenge I find with Italian films from this era um, is the dubbing. Uh, because I, I have, and I wish I could think of a specific film, but... You know, I've tried to watch films in English. Then I've tried to watch them in Italian with subtitles. And neither one, like you said, everybody's speaking a different language. There's, there's no version where no one's dubbed. And, and that's one of the really difficult things I find, like I said, about Italian film from this era. Um, and at least for something like this, it gives it such a otherworldly quality especially mm -hmm. barbara Steele, um 
but when it's like the like the love scenes dialogue and, and basically mm-hmm. anything Andre, the younger of the two doctors, says it's almost it's hard not to chuckle because he just the voice oh, is yeah. so goofy and doesn't fit him at all. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But again, I I think that the strength of this is the way it looks, and yeah, uh, I'm I'm biased. Um, I mean, there are certain film genres that I will watch anything. I mean, and black and white gothic horror. Yes, I'll watch anything and I will be entertained. Any film noir, I'll watch it and I'll be entertained. And then there are other genres like westerns. I have a hard time getting into it. Even great westerns, even wonderful westerns, I really have a hard time with it. Um, but this is just something where, to me, it's a default like, you know. And and I think in your notes there was something about um, Beauty and the Beast, and and I see a lot of similarities there just in the way that these films are shot in the way that these films are staged um i think it's i think it's a beautiful beautiful looking film um this is actually very film noir which you just mentioned Mm -hmm. yeah but something that really stood out um you know again this is the first my first watch and when i was trying to just piece together what was happening i at first i was confused and then i enjoyed how day and night are basically interchangeable in this movie. Yes. Like specifically in this, the early sequence when the two doctors go into the chapel. Yes. I think it's nighttime. And then when they come out, I think someone mentions that it's daytime. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if <laughs> I'm trusting it wasn't like a slip up or a mistake. <laughs> Maybe it was. <laughs> but it made it kind of fun. Like we're just trapped in this eternal twilight. Sure. I unless I'm forgetting something, I can barely remember any daytime scenes in this movie, but it makes it fun to just this eternal midnight kind of that the movie operates within and this feeling of being trapped. And and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're indoors for the most part. I mean, you know, and when you're inside, when you're inside a castle, I mean, there aren't window, (laughs) you know, it, it always looks like night. There's always a fire going, Um, And I'm sure that that is more economical when you're talking about shooting and and budgeting for this. Um, But even, I mean, all the money was put into fog machines and (laughs) fake trees. And I mean, the soundstage that they're on at the beginning where they're where they're killing these witches. I, I think it's it's so much fun. And, you know, there were so many bad movies out there. Um, that look like this and feel like this. And, and we're just, you know, taking this concept and this overall look of gothic horror and running with it. And you can see them on Mystery Science Theater and stuff like that. Um, but I, I just, again, I, I hate to keep saying I love the look, but that is what it is about this movie. And that's what it is for the most part about Bava. I think later on in his career, um, I'm not saying that, that he... Uh, I mean, what I really like about his films and, and, and his overall career is he stuck with horror for the most part, but he was able to dive into different genres. And some people would say that he, you know, made the first Giallo or that he created Giallo. Uh, some would say that with um, uh, Bay of Blood, he maybe created 
the slasher genre. Because if you watch Bay of Blood and then you watch um, specifically uh, Friday the 13th Part 2, it's kind of the same movie. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and I think that, you know, he was able to stay one step ahead of the curve or just ahead of the tide of films that would come in and, and filmmakers that would definitely be influenced by him. Um, even something like Planet of the Vampires. Have you seen that? No, but that sound, this, the title is incredible. Oh, okay. Sorry. Don't watch Blood and Black Lace yet. <laughs> go watch, go watch Planet of the Vampires. It's crazy. It's his only sci-fi film, but it is a, heavy influence on alien and oh. it's easy to see um if you if you just took alien and it was just the <laughs> actors and pretty much the same room just dressed differently in certain sets <laughs> or certain scenes uh yeah but, but it's 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 not a good movie <laughs> but it really like you can see that future directors of sci-fi films must have seen this, must have looked back at this and said, this guy knows what he's doing. Um, the Again, the way the film is shot is just wonderful. But watch it. It's it's a load of fun and nonsense. Um, not to put you on the spot, but do sure. you know, were these movies, were his movies like very popular in Italy or around the world when they came out or were were these more almost like grindhousey or do you know what in, the context was well in Italy they were wildly successful um I think that uh Black Sunday again his first film made over 130 million in Italy um which is very big <laughs> for that time. Perhaps even for now, I'm not sure. Uh, here, I don't think this... Um, I, I don't know if this came to theaters here. I know that it really didn't find an audience until uh, VHS and, and television, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I don't know... I don't know how far the reach was from this film and, and even his, some of his later ones. But I know locally he did really well. Oh wow, that's good to hear. There's so much to, to go through though. Like I wouldn't have even guessed sci-fi was part of his. Um, I think that was the only portfolio. One. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a one and done for him. <laughs> one other nugget I want to throw about the cinematography that stood out was when Thomas had been turned into a vampire, and I don't know if mm -hmm. we knew that that had happened or not, but when he came back in the castle. You could see Katya and her brother Constantine. They were lit normally with shadows and everything. You see them mm -hmm. moving in and out of the room, and they're they're lit the way they're supposed to be. But he was brightly lit the whole time, even though he was moving through the same space as they were. So I kind of oh. took that as like a visual cue, or if nothing else, like something's up with him. Maybe we don't know if he's a vampire yet. Um, no, but that kind I, of stood out in a weird way. Yeah. I, I didn't really notice that. I'd, I'd be interested to go back and take a look at that. And now I'm wondering if maybe the same thing was going on with the doctor, too. Oh, that's who I meant. Who did I say? I don't I know. I meant the I older doctor. Said, oh, you meant... Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> Not Yachtuvin. Sorry. No, I, I thought you meant the father. I thought you said the father. 
but oh, I'm sorry. Not. Oh, no, no, no. You may, maybe you didn't. Um, but yeah. So when I rewatch, I'll have to see if are all the vampires lit yeah. weird, or was this a little fluke? Um, one thing I, I I read when researching the movie a little more mm-hmm. that cracked me up was that they had developed fangs for all the vampires. That I guess and it was expensive or a lot of work to do so. But they just didn't read well on camera, so they ended up trashing all those scenes and editing around it. Really? Oh, my God, that's amazing. Wow. Because, like you said, if they were running around with fangs, I would have I would have no issue with the fact that they're vampires. <laughs> or never question that, or it would never seem bizarre that they mentioned it once or twice and then dropped it. Oh, that's... That's pretty interesting. And how do you screw that up? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's been you, fangs in film for, at this point, what, 50 years? Like, can't you figure that out? Maybe they didn't have a party city in Italy. They just mm. couldn't, didn't have access to fangs. No, you might be right. <laughs> uh, well, okay, back on the mythology, though. And sure. so another question I had was what... And maybe there's not an answer, but what is the end goal of Asa? Like if she she makes herself come back alive, she and her lover are making vampires left and right. What is their, do they have mm-hmm. an end goal or are they just trying to bring themselves back to life? Yeah, I, I don't think there's a specific end goal. I think if you're dead, coming back to life is good enough. I'm not, I don't know. I mean, yeah, she never talks about anything. It doesn't have to go, you know, to the heights of world domination or anything like that. But you're <laughs> right. She never really mentions what's happening. I almost feel like, well, she just wants to be alive again. Um, her portrait's already up on the wall. She wouldn't really have to do much in that castle to change the look, uh, to blend right into society. Um, no, I just figured she's coming back. Why not? When she can switch out her portrait with the secret one in the passageway. <laughs> yes, no, you're right. <laughs> that w- that gave me like super the Love Witch vibes. Have you seen that oh movie? Oh my god! Oh, I love that movie. That's so great looking. <laughs> <laughs> Another idea that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, scrolling back up in the Google Doc. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I don't know if we want to unpack this, um, mm-hmm. but like kind of a recurring pattern were kind of power dynamics and kind of the Mm -hmm. interference by those in power leading to bigger problems. So almost, it almost felt like individual assurance slash arrogance Mm -hmm. negatively impacting like the community or like the greater good. And I don't know if I'm stretching here, but that was something that happened a few times throughout the movie. I don't I don't think you're stretching. Um, it is something that I mean, we do find out that she is a vampire or witch or, or something like that. Um, but I was always bothered at the beginning of this movie that it was her brother that, you know, was the one who basically <laughs> got her killed. And I understand that, you know, if you look back in history, it was a different time. And yes, everybody's afraid and everybody's pointing fingers and you know, you don't have to look much past the, you know, the Salem witch trials to see, you know, th- that it was just a very, very frightening time for these people. 
Um, but that that always did bother me, and it, it always made me think: was there some sort of power dynamic, you know, with her and her brother? It, that's never explained. It's never, you know, said that she was older, and maybe, you know, uh, I'm not saying she was going to get some sort of uh, inheritance or something. But I, I think these are all just things that I put in to this movie at the beginning. But I mean, it's very quickly revealed that she truly is evil. So <laughs> just forget all of that. Um, but no, I, I know what you're saying. And I think there is some validity to it. Um, well, because what I kept thinking of, mm-hmm. you know, in a broader sense, like if if there's the tension between the individual and the community, mm-hmm. if if the Inquisition were not taking place and if Asa was just able to do her witchy thing, would would she have been you know quote unquote evil if her brother hadn't persecuted right. her you know would yeah would she have still cursed everybody if she was just allowed to be with her surf lover and they're off on their own would any of this trouble have started in the first place no i, I think that's a good question and um yeah i, I mean we can't answer it but <laughs> i i think that i think there's 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 something to that where she didn't necessarily bring this upon herself. And in my eyes, they're not killing her at the beginning of this film because she is an evil person or because she has hurt anyone. Uh, It's never mentioned that she's really done any harm to anybody. Um, And of course, then she's angry (laughs) she's you know (laughs) once she's brought back to life she is going to lash out of course um but she's very fair to these people i mean you know she's like hey listen uh i can give you eternal life you'll just (laughs) you know you'll just be my servant and she even says to the one guy she's like hey and uh i think you get a night with me so isn't that great so (laughs) she seems to be she's not I, I don't I don't think that she is malevolent in the way that I don't know maybe I'm just maybe I'm just thinking about this too much because this isn't stuff I really thought about a whole lot before this discussion. Well, like I'm I'm not saying she's the hero of the story, right? But it's like you look at everything that's <laughs> happened to her, and it's like if someone Iron Maiden my face, sure, you bet I would curse their family. Right, of course, <laughs> yes, I think that's fair. <laughs> Uh, well, because I know, anyway, again, I've only seen this movie like one and a half times. Sure. Mm-hmm. When I was researching around, a lot of, a, a theme I kept reading others chime in was about kind of sexual repression. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I read as much about it as that as the main idea, but seeing that in terms of, or I saw that more from the oppression side of those in power rather right. than the repression side of the oppressed. And so, Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was just going to say, I much like you, I don't think I really saw a lot of that in a film or in this particular film. Um, I'm not saying it's not there, but it's nothing that I was ever drawn to or something that even now when I heard you say it, I'm not saying I'm not buying in, but there's nothing that made me go, oh, yeah. Uh, I just think that it's something where if you're making a film and that film takes place during this particular time, period in time, 
I feel like that's just there. It's just going <laughs> to be there with nearly every one of these types of films. <laughs> this is kind of switching gears, but you mentioned mm-hmm. it earlier um, when we were talking about Thomas, the doctor, um, getting close to the crypt. Right. Uh, I want to talk more about that big bat. Yeah, I, okay. Um, why don't you talk about that bat? Because I don't know what to say about that thing. Well, when I, so, again, first watch, I, like, screamed, not because it was scary, <laughs> but because, like, it's, like, an umbrella-sized bat. So it's it's great special effects. But it it kind of was interesting within vampire lore, mm-hmm. you know, from the sense of, you know, traditionally... Vamp- in real life vampires are able <laughs> right, to turn right. themselves into bats <laughs> to fly around but so it was interesting in this context because i think you would almost or you can read it a couple ways that this mm-hmm. this bat is a vampire transformed trying to do evil stuff or is this vamp or is this bat part of the natural order trying to stop okay. thomas from messing with this tomb and the reason I kind of went in with that second framework in mind was, you know, just the scene before when their carriage is going, when their carriage is driving to wherever they're going, mm-hmm. um, the horses are flipping out because they're getting too yes. close to the haunted castle. So, you know, and this happens in a lot of horror movies, but, you know, the animals sense that some that evil is occurring and troubles on the way. And so I kind of saw the bat as another extension of that. This bat is trying to say, don't go near this lady. And so I don't know if that's kind of like a subversion of vampire tropes, or maybe this was just another vampire. (laughs) Okay. You know, what's funny is I, I always read it sort of in the complete opposite uh, of what you saw in that I saw the bat more of not necessarily protecting people um but protecting her like don't don't mess with her um you know sort of it's funny because it does such a terrible job of protecting her (laughs) and then these guys are the ones that bring her back to life but i always saw the bat as sort of a deterrent if somebody wanders in they see a giant bat they would probably leave and not not mess with her at all but i didn't see the bat as protecting humanity against her i saw the bat as looking over her oh like if if thomas were trying to stab her in the eye the bat would be there to stop it right exactly that probably makes more sense i don't know that anything we're saying makes sense but (laughs) um I think those are the, all the interesting things I have to say about this movie. <laughs> what no, uh, what else right. do you yeah. got? I think the idea of Catholicism and how crucial um, religion and, and one specific religion is to this movie uh, really, again, just speaks to the time period. And it's it's from the jump. I mean, it's it's from the very first scene of this movie, we realize, okay, Religion is important. Catholicism is important. Uh, these crucifixes are going to keep popping up. And, and of course, you see it in a lot of these gothic horror films. You see a lot of it in those old 
monster movies, stuff like that. You know, uh, Christianity is good and everything else is terrible and, and Christianity can fight and win against any any sort of evil that's out there. Uh, anything that isn't Christianity or isn't Catholicism. So uh, I think that it's it's a little less heavy handed in this movie, strangely enough, than some others that I've seen. Um, but I do think I always liked how in vampire movies, um, how the crucifix burning into the head. I, I always found that such an effective image. And when they dig up her little servant guy and that that's gross. The corpses in this movie are done really nicely, too. Um, I, I talked about imagery that I, I really like from this film. The other one I like is when when you see her dead and she sort of she still has flesh on her face, but she has no eyes. And oh, you see her eyes yeah. start to form. It's like bubbly. Goo is oozing out of the sockets. Yeah, that's a really, really effective image. But again, I, I do think that the Catholicism angle uh, is one that I feel like you need in a movie like this. It's it's the crux of what's happening. But I don't think it's, as I said, as heavy-handed as it is or as obnoxious, I would say, as in other films similar to this. Um, though, in the if in the narrative where... Asa is the hero. Mm-hmm. In a way, Catholicism is what drove her to start all this trouble in the first place. So you could almost read it as kind of <laughs> self-destructive. That Catholicism sure. is what caused this evil. Maybe it's what ends it, but it's what oh, caused yeah. it in the first place. No, no, you're right. Well, kind of with all that said, what's your main lesson? <laughs> what, what what morals did you learn from this movie? <laughs> Besides, you can kill vampires in the left eye, or is that the most important takeaway? Oh, that's that's clearly the most important. Uh, I think that would be a more difficult way to kill them than through the heart. But you know what? You don't have to get through the chest plate or ribs or anything like that. If you can go right through the eye, I think that's the most important lesson from this. Uh, no, the most important lesson I learned is when I found out who made this film and, and that to me and not to get too much into my, you know, film uh, fandom or background or anything. Um, I've always been into film. I always watched movies. And, and you know, when I was a kid, um, my mom would show me all of these older films, you know, stuff she grew up with. Um and so I was always drawn to film. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't until I was probably 19, 20 years old that I really started to. And I remember it was I watched Lost Highway and that film had such a deep and profound impact on me because it was the first time where I saw a director's vision in the film. Um, I knew Alfred Hitchcock made a bunch of movies and I had seen a ton of them, but I just thought, OK, these are fun movies I didn't see a director doing something until I discovered David Lynch. Uh, after that, I really then went back to films that I like and found out who made these and then would dig into their filmography. So when I realized that Bava made this, 
that sent me on a journey of discovery of saying, okay, well, now I just have to go in and I have to see everything else that this guy made. And I was shocked to find that Black Sabbath is kind of close to this. Um, but other than that, this is kind of it from him when it comes to this particular gothic horror genre. Like this is like I his. I don't know if that answered. I don't know if that <laughs> answered your question at all. I don't even know what the question was now. No, but no, this is yeah. He he um he made this gothic horror film, and that's pretty much it. After that, he moved on to the giallo genre, um, and never really went back to doing this. And I, I think that that's kind of a shame because I would like to see this, but I also like to see when filmmakers grow um, as artists and, and when they decide to not even necessarily just take on new challenges, but just say, okay, you know what? I did that. I think it's time to move on. For sure. Cause like if you're or it, a director who wants to make a, you know, quote unquote traditional Gothic horror, this one checks all the boxes. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, you can't get better than this. No, no, I don't. I, I mean, right now off the top of my head, I can't think of any that are better. I'm sure there are, but I just think, like you said, this checks all the boxes. Uh, it has the visual flair. It has the music that you would expect. And I, I don't I don't even want to say that because I don't want to say, well, this does all the stuff it's supposed to do. Um, it does that, but I can also see this director's vision on screen where sometimes it just feels like someone's, you know, directing paint by number. Oh, and sure. I don't think that's what's happening here. Um, I think for me, it's fun to, I mean, it's just a, the film by itself is just mm -hmm. a, such a fun discovery and I'm excited to see more of Bava in general. Um, but the seeing it kind of within the broader context of both kind of Italian film and just international horror you know, mm -hmm. first on the Italian film side, knowing this is the same year as La Dolce Vita, it's weird to mm -hmm. even think of these movies coming from the same planet, at <laughs> least of all the same country. But at the same token, three years later, Barbara Steele's going to be an eight and a half, which is considered yeah. one of the greatest movies ever made. So it's it's just funny to think of them within the same within the same context as each other in a kind of country setting. Yeah. But then even in the international film sense, you know, how, you know, this has so many, this follows kind of the pattern and, you know, like I mentioned, checks a lot of the boxes of classic, mm -hmm. you know, universal horror monster movies, but then taking it that step further with, you know, what's still 60 years later, pretty intense violence or suggestive violence that's still so effective that is such a leap forward from where those monster movies were 30, 20 years prior to this. And so it's, you know, and again, I don't know a lot about Giallo, but it, it does feel like this could be like a tipping point into much more extreme violence in the years ahead. Sure. Um, and so it kind of, it feels like a fun bridge between those two worlds. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I like it usually um when 
directors you know, can can jump back into older genres and and not even necessarily try and update them. Um, I think I might at some point watch Crimson Peak again because, but I think I, I don't know. It, I was expecting so much with that film, and when I finally saw it, I went, "Wait, this is what he's doing," um, because I should have liked it, but I didn't. Uh, but you don't you don't see as much of that anymore. And, and like we're saying here with Black Sunday, yeah, it was 1960 and what those universal movies, you know, they went into the 40s a little bit, but not too much beyond there. Um, so he's not reaching back that far, not reaching back as, as far as Del Toro tried to or, or did with Crimson Peak. Um, so I just feel like for me, this is something where I see it and I think this isn't done anymore or it's, it's difficult to do something like this now. Uh, film style has really moved beyond this, and there's something nice about that. And I know that, that some people look back at older films and say, oh, what a shame that you can't do this anymore. What a shame that you, this can't be done anymore. But to me, sometimes there's something very quaint about that, about looking back and watching a genre of film and going, they would never do this anymore because it doesn't make sense. It is so from a specific era. So I think that that's, that's a really nice thing to do. I don't want to watch something from 50 years ago that I could watch, you know, something very similar that was just released last year. For sure. Though I, I will kind of challenge that with one of my recommendations. Um, sure. This might get some eye rolls from listeners, but after seeing this movie, <laughs> a, a recommendation that's a very contemporary one is Corin Hardy's The Nun from last year. And that's the same nun from the Conjuring universe, not the French mm -hmm. New Wave, The Nun. <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to pretend it's a masterpiece, but you know, in terms of visual style and just the feeling of that classic gothic horror, it totally has all of that it's you know you mentioned earlier about black sunday you could almost watch it on mm -hmm. mute and just have it in the background for me the nun is that way it's gorgeous to look at it's got all the spooky atmosphere you could want it's actually not scary at all and i'm usually a wimp with horror movies um so <laughs> anyone the kids can watch it <laughs> it's good for everybody uh, but my art house recommendation is Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast. Um, you know, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but in terms of set design and cinematography, it felt very evocative of that in terms of how, you know, just the the deep blacks, the milky whites, mm -hmm. and the use of negative space to make the worlds just feel massive when you're walking through the corridor of a castle or a forest. The darkness just makes every the world seem infinite, um, and it's super effective. Um, similar to how Beating the Beast is. Um, what are recommendations you would have for our listeners? Um, first, if I could just talk about your recommendations for one second. Oh, of course. Um, first of all, The Nun, I probably should have watched it without sound. Maybe I would have liked it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Beauty and the Beast, and this was quite a shock to me. I was watching it just in the middle of the afternoon one day, um, and I have a 
uh, a, let me think about how old my kids would have been at this time, uh, probably a nine-year-old and a six-year-old who wandered into the room. They were enthralled with that movie. Um, of course, the nine-year-old, you know, could read the subtitles and could kind of keep up. The younger one could not, but it didn't matter. They know the story of Beauty and the Beast from the Disney, of course, um, but they loved it. And I was shocked by that. <laughs> like, you said kids could watch The Nun. I would say people out there with kids, show them that old Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> it just Visually, they loved it. They loved, like, when his hands were smoking, they asked me why, and I explained why, and they thought it was fascinating <laughs> so so that's it that's what i had to say uh everybody show your kids both of those movies i guess um i did recommend blood and black lace but so definitely see that uh there's a movie i kind of forgot about in bava's filmography because he kind of didn't make it um it's an arrow put this out i have the uk i don't know if they put it out in U.S. So I guess if you have a region-free player, um, it's called Kaltiki, C-A-L-T-I-K-I. Uh, it's very much in the vein of the mummy in that these archaeologists are out and they, they're digging and they awake some old evil. Uh, I'll just say that. Um, it's from just before Black Sunday, and it was directed by a guy named Ricardo Freda. But apparently he just left production halfway <laughs> through. So Bava finished the film, um, and it's it's really entertaining. If you like those old, stupid, like if you like Creature from the Black Lagoon, if you like The Mummy, you have to get this film. And if you do get it from Arrow, it's just packed. I think there's three or four different commentaries on here. Uh, I think there may be more than one version of the film. It's... It's a really, really nice release and just a, a fun movie if you like those old monster movies. Oh, that sounds awesome. No, I love that yeah. type of film and the fact that Tiki's in the name. I'm over <laughs> It's in my Amazon cart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I got it during the, you know how um, Arrow does those UK sales where things drop down to like, you know, seven pounds or something? Oh, wow. Um, I got it during one of those sales. So I'm not saying... Don't hold off, but if you have a region free free player, um, maybe hold off. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I don't have region free yet. Okay, I kind of don't even know if I want to take that plunge. Uh, yeah, it's it's like I buy too many uh, Blu-rays as it is. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I feel like I'm the same way, and I only have my region free in the basement. So then I have to make two separate piles like one upstairs <laughs> in the living room that i could watch up there and then i have a basement pile and i, I don't know i'm i bring this upon myself so. <laughs> um just i mean just like the people of Mol moldovia did right right exactly <laughs> uh well doug this has been such a pleasure talking with you it's been i've had such a fun time um discussing a movie that you clearly love um just you getting excited about it gets me excited about it um Hey, I want to thank you so much. Hey, no, thank you. This is this has been a lot of fun. Anytime. I enjoy multiple Italian films. <laughs> I'll bring you on for the Blood leopard. Black lace. <laughs> okay. We'll do a, a commentary so you have to so you have to watch all of it. Oh, all right. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> um 
you know, I'm sorry, during the intro, I didn't even mention your other podcast. If you want to, if you'd like to talk about that, how can people find you? Sure, sure. Um, I co-host a podcast called Good Times, Great Movies, um, where we talk about uh, movies from the 80s, only from the 1980s. It comes out every two weeks. And we kind of just go through the film beat by beat and have fun at the film's expense. Uh, Some are good movies, definitely. Uh, but even good movies you can sort of make fun of. Um, but we did not set out to create a bad movie podcast, but that's kind of what it's become because we've tended to gravitate toward movies that we've never seen. And uh, there's a lot of terrible things from the 80s that I have not seen. So just find, just type in good times, great movies in your browser. <laughs> it's easy to find. We're the only place out there that has those four words in that order. So find us, you know, wherever you get podcasts, wherever you're listening to this, just subscribe, check it out. Um, and just to help plug it, I mean, I, I love every sure. episode you guys have done. The mm-hmm. Pet Cemetery one, I was like crying, <laughs> laughing at your new or your and Jamie's New England like Catherine Hepburn accents. Oh. <laughs> I had to park my car to like calm down. No, I, yeah, I don't know if it was. I mean, I'm sure you were one of them, but we received many comments after that saying that people enjoyed our Catherine Hepburn <laughs> accents. <laughs> so. Um. It, I don't know. To listen to Fred Gwynn talk that way through an entire movie was so entertaining. <laughs> uh, do you have, is there Twitter, Instagram, or social handles oh, people yeah, should yeah. follow you at? Uh, yeah, uh, you can follow us. Uh, we're on Twitter at GTGMcast, and I believe uh, Instagram is Good Times Great Movies, and Facebook is Good Times Great Movies. It's a lot to type out, but you can find us anywhere. <laughs> it's worth we're the effort. We're all over the place. <laughs> It's worth the effort of typing four words. <laughs> uh, well, thank you again. Um, it, no, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Um, and thank you, listeners, if you've made it this far. Um, please be sure to rate and review on iTunes or Spotify or however you're listening to this. Be sure to hit subscribe. Um, and until next time, ciao, Amici, and ciao, Doug. Ciao. <laughs>